0: The following message, entitled, The Wrath of God Revealed, Part 3 of the series, A Righteousness from God, was given by Bob Mundorf on February 9th, 2014 at Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. Let's pray and ask God for his help this morning to help me to preach his word clearly and help everybody to understand. Father, thank You, Lord, that we can gather around You, Jesus, around Your Word. And Lord, we pray that You would just give us understanding, give us enlightenment, and help us to see, Lord, what can be a hard subject in Your Word more clearly this morning. And, and Lord, help us to just cherish the mercy and the grace that You give us in the Gospel as a result of this topic this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. When Mark was giving announcements, he said, um, he mentioned the Bible study that I'm teaching. And I think, I think he said, and, and then he said, we'll have baby bottles that, can be, that you can put your coins and money in. And uh, just to clarify, that, that's not a part of the 1 John Bible study. I don't want your baby bottles, but if you want to give me your money, I'll take it. You can bring all the money you want to the 1 John study. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I I might have heard him wrong, but that's how I that's how I heard it. <laughs> Sorry. Bad joke. Okay. Boy Scouts motto. Who who knows the Boy Scouts motto? Be prepared. Be prepared, right, Bob? Were you a Boy Scout? Yeah. Great. All right. Be prepared. And we're going to talk about being prepared a little bit this morning. The older I get, the more I see how important it is to take a little bit of time to prepare, not rush into things. And uh, I found that out firsthand one time years ago. I, I'm, a, I'm an outdoorsman. I was in the woods. I was archery hunting. And um, I was way back, like a mile and a half in the woods from where I parked my truck. This really rural, remote location that was rugged, rocky, just thick with mountain laurel and And I was chasing some big bucks that I knew were back there, so I hung my tree stand. And uh, I don't think I saw any deer this day. I wasn't real familiar with this piece of woods, but it was beautiful, and I just enjoyed spending the day as I usually do in God's creation. But when it came time to get out of my tree stand, I I usually like to wait until it's pretty dark, because that's when the animals move, right, when it gets close to dark, and um When it came time to to get out, I I was just about ready to get out of my tree and I heard some leaves crunching and some sticks breaking below me and and I'm looking and I'm trying to see what it is and uh, I saw this big dark shadow, big dark shadow coming closer to my tree and uh, I'm pretty sure it was a bear, it was big, it was pretty dark so I couldn't make it out clearly but... I thought, I'm not going to get out of my tree right now. I'm just going to wait. And uh, I waited. I kept hearing stuff, so I waited for a good hour and a half. And it was, it was late. It was really dark. And I thought, okay, I, I feel safe enough. I'll get out of my tree. And, and when, I went, when I went to get out, I realized that I had forgotten my flashlight. I forgot to pack my flashlight. And it was one of those nights that... you can't even see your hand in front of your face. It's pitch black. This was years ago, so I don't think I had a cell phone. Yes, teenagers, there was a time without cell phones. Um, If I did have one, it was one of those kind without a flashlight. So anyways, I I got out of the tree, but the whole time I was tripping over these rocks, and, and then I would hear a stick break, and I'm thinking the bear's chasing me, and I keep thinking all they're gonna find like the rescue crew the next day is gonna find some camo tattered clothes and anyway so it was it took me I think it was till like midnight before I was out of the woods and uh, and I I tripped I hurt my knee I got a big scratch on my bow because it was so rocky I was unfamiliar with the territory and uh, if I had just taken a little bit more time to prepare and made sure that I had a compass and a flashlight. I would have known which way to go. And I would have had a lot easier of a time. Well, that's what we need to do today. Because for the last couple of Sundays, we've been looking at the book of Romans, and we've been looking in chapter 1. And last week, Joe led us through what he called the theme of this book, verses 16 and 17. But now, today, we've got a really rocky, rugged, dark section of Scripture to get through. And if we don't prepare well, we could get tripped up on this. So that's what we want to do. As your tour guide this morning through the book of Romans, I need to warn you about that. And I just want to take a little bit of time to kind of back up, get a a big picture of where we've been, where we are now, and where we're heading in this book. I think this will help us to be able to be more prepared as we head into this passage. So, as I said, where we've been. Last week Joe talked about Romans 1, 16 and 17. Let's take a look at it. Romans 1, 16 and 17 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, or from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So we saw last week that the gospel, the message about Jesus Christ, the gospel is the good news, the, the information about Jesus, his person and his work, Right? The, Jesus is God. He's the Son of God, which means He's God's unique Son. He's the Messiah predicted in the Old Testament who became a man who lived a perfect life and never sinned and who gave Himself up by dying on a cross, a Roman cross, for our sins. And it's not finished there. We saw that the Gospel includes the fact that Jesus rose bodily from the dead and He's alive right now. And we saw that that Gospel is being revealed from faith to faith. Or every time someone believes that message about Jesus, that Gospel is being revealed through time. And Joe talked, I love that when Joe said that it's like a lion in a cage. And, and it's, it's the power of God. We don't need to defend it. We just need to let it out. We just need to let it go. And it's The the gospel, that good message that is the power of God for salvation, that saves people, found comfort in that because at times I can think, oh, I don't know everything about the defense of the gospel and I don't know how to argue with certain arguments, but we don't need to defend it. We just need to lay it out and it will do its work. And so, that was last week. Now, if we look at where we're at today... Um, today, I'm not going to be given the good news. I'm going to be given the bad news. And so, uh, we're going to see, though, that the bad news actually showcases the good news. And that's why Paul's doing this. But if you look at how this passage starts in verse 18. Today, uh, we're going to be looking at the passage in particular, the first part of the verse of 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed... From heaven. So you can see right there, it starts out uh, rocky. People can get tripped up on the wrath of God. You might have invited you know, a, a friend from work or the elderly lady that lives across the street thinking that they're going to come to Sovereign Grace Church this morning and hear this wonderful, uplifting message that will just lift their spirits and they're going to hear the wrath of God proclaimed. But you know what, guys? We need to understand the wrath of God. It's it's necessary to understand the wrath of God against sinful humanity. Rebels who rebel against Him in order to understand His mercy. And besides that, one of the reasons that we preach expository messages where we go through every verse of the book is because we're not going to leave it to popular opinion, what we preach and what we don't preach. We're going to let God decide what we talk about and what we don't talk about. And the wrath of God is actually pretty popular in the New Testament as opposed to what people think. A lot of times we can think, well, the God of the Old Testament was the wrathful God. But He mellowed out a little bit in the New Testament. But that's not the case, as we're going to see this morning. The wrath of God still remains on many people, but He gives us a way out. And that's what we should think of when we think of God. He is merciful and He is just. We're going to talk about that. But first, let's, let's finish our preparation. We looked at where we were. We looked at where we're at today. Now, this is going to help us more than anything, I think. Let's look at, at where we're heading. And as we, as we uh, kind of get a, a bird's eye view, like when I was in the woods... And I didn't know where I was going. I, I remember thinking, I wish I could get above these trees up high so that I could see the, the lights of town and, and just know where to go. I, I was completely lost. And so today, right now, we're going to get in our Ocopter. Yes, Mark, I said Ocopter, And uh, we're, going to, we're going to fly up and we're going to look out at the landscape of the rest of chapter 1, chapter 2, and a little bit of chapter 3, because that's how far this rugged, rough, dark territory goes in the book of Romans. So, as we get up there, as we look at chapter 1, big picture, from high up, chapter 2, and chapter 3, we see uh, that Paul here, the Apostle Paul, is bringing an indictment on all mankind, every person, that has ever lived is a sinner. And we're going to see him do that like, like a great prosecuting attorney making a case that everyone needs this gospel that he held up. So as we, as we look at the whole thing and we kind of lower altitude to look a little closer in chapter 1 and 2 in particular we begin to see like all different kinds of people listed here. And we're going to look more at this next week. This is kind of part one of a two-part series on God's wrath. But we begin to see, in chapter one, we see people rebelling against God. We see atheists and agnostics suppressing the obvious truth of God. We see uh, idolaters replacing God, exchanging God with, with gods that are more self-serving and convenient for their lifestyle. We see uh, homosexual men and women dishonoring their bodies because they've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. We're going to see that all more clearly next week. But we see this long list of sinners that just catches everyone at the end of chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, we see Paul point his finger over at the group of people in the Roman church who are saying... Well, those people, I'm better than them. And Paul says, no, you're not. You know why? Because you judge them. Because you think you're better than them and you're just a Pharisee. And we're going to see Paul accuse and indict all of those people. And the whole way at the end of chapter 3, verse 20, we see his argument come to culmination in verse 22 and 23. 23. Where he says, there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So this is the bad news. That's what we want to to be prepared for. That's what we want to know as we're going in. And it's kind of like Paul, I see this as Paul in verses 16 and 17, like a, a good doctor. He's holding up this cure. He says the gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. And He's got the cure for the terminal illness of sin that every human being has. And He's making that case throughout this section of Scripture. He's, he's kind of slipping the black velvet backdrop behind the diamond that you might see in the jewelry store. He held up that Gospel and He gave us a taste of it. And now he's showing us why we need it. It would be like if you went to the doctor and you had this disease and he said, I got a cure. But let me tell you a little bit about the disease so that you know and can appreciate this cure. That's what he's doing here. And that's why it's important to know. So we're going to look at that today. Let's land in verse 18 and take a closer look. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. This is uh, interesting that he starts this verse with the word for. Because the word for in the Bible, I always like to think of it as a hinge. Um, it's, it explains, it's attached to what came before. And it's further explanation of what came before. And what he's saying here, when he says, for the wrath of God is, be, is revealed, he's explaining why we need the power of God to save us. Remember, the Gospel is the power of God. It's not our own power. It's what God did. And so he's just giving us more information, more background on why we need God's power to save us. And one of the reasons is because, as we see there, that people are ungodly, unrighteous. They suppress the truth of God. We're going to talk more about that next week. But his point is, the wrath of God is revealed. That's a present tense, ongoing verb form. It's being revealed. It's throughout history and time. It's being revealed now. It's interesting, we think often about the wrath of God, I know I do, as something that's coming, you know, Book of Revelation, Judgment Day, the wrath of God, and that's true. But this tells us that the wrath of God is now, in this time period that we live in, being revealed. And so, uh, just because the wrath of God is something that we can get tripped up on and And we can, I think, even at times get embarrassed about, um, which we shouldn't, we want to slow down. We're going to slow down and talk today just a little bit about the wrath of God so that we get a good understanding of what's going on here. And then we can talk a little bit more about who that plays out on and how that plays out next week. But the wrath of God is necessary. You know, we don't want to, it's not like something you're embarrassed about and you shove it in the closet when company comes over and shut the door. It's, we've got to talk about it. So, let's look at it. First, what exactly is the wrath of God? It's a, a good question to consider as we're talking about His wrath. What is it? Well, the first thing we need to understand is that the wrath of God simply means His anger. It's, it's just His anger toward sin and unrighteousness. And I think that one of the reasons we can be embarrassed about it is that we compare God's anger to to our own unrighteous anger, or maybe to um, unrighteous anger that we've experienced. You know, I, I know many people have had, uh, you know, maybe a, an alcoholic spouse or father uh, that just was sinful. In his angry outbursts toward you, it wasn't deserved. It wasn't righteous. Um, many, many people have, uh, maybe like me, I used to have a pretty bad temper. And by God's grace, He's delivered me from that. But, you know, I can remember before I was walking with the Lord, I can remember being at a gas station and, and this guy just looked at me wrong. And, and I'm ashamed to say it, but I blew up on him. And uh you know I can remember times when cars were following too close and I just stopped in the middle of the road and and tried to fight with the people it's it's that's unrighteous anger that's not what God has and uh I'm thankful that the Lord has has delivered me from that but you know there are still remaining times even when you know parents you know if the kids are um you know, not being obedient and it's inconvenient for you and you don't want to really uh, take the time to train them properly, I can still find myself becoming harsh and angry, and that, that even is, is unrighteous anger. God is nothing like that. We should never compare God with experiences of anger from humans. We need to get rid of all human notion of anger when we think of God's wrath, because God's wrath is righteous. It's right. It's holy. It's pure. He has no sin. He has the right to be angry when His own creations rebel against Him and sin against Him. And if you think of it, if God didn't respond with anger and wrath and judgment towards sinners who rebel against Him, well, He he wouldn't be just. It wouldn't be just of him. I mean, we understand this on a human plane. Imagine imagine if your loved one, just think of someone you love very much, family member, child, wife, and, and this person was the victim of a horrendous, brutal crime that is unimaginable and you don't even want to think about it. But imagine that that happened. And imagine that this perpetrator who did the crime was brought in, and the evidence was overwhelming. I mean, no eyewitnesses—just the evidence was there. There was no question. This guy did it, and uh, he had evil intentions. And um, he wasn't remorseful. He was just—he did it. Now, if this guy was brought before a human judge, and that human ju- human judge spent some time in his chambers before this hearing, thinking. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I want to be known from now on as a, a, a judge, a loving judge. I don't want to be known as a judge of wrath and judgment. I want to be known as loving. And instead of sentencing this guy, he went up and gave him hugs and kisses and high fives, and he said, I love you, it's all okay. And this guy went out, you would be furious. Would that judge be a just judge? No that judge would be a horrible judge. Well, God is a just judge, and therefore He must respond to sin. He must respond to sin. He must punish sin because He is infinitely holy. He is infinitely pure. And He's our Creator, so He can really do what He wants. Paul Kind of answers any objector in Romans 9 and says, Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? He can do whatever he wants because he's God and he made you. And we'll get to that. But God is just, he has the right to have anger over sin. Now, as we said, I want to keep reminding us throughout that this anger isn't all that God has. The purpose, one of the purposes for this wrath against sinners is to showcase His mercy that He offers to everyone. We, If you think about it, there is no mercy without justice. There is no mercy that can be given without justice and judgment. But God gives mercy and offers it to everyone. And so, the second thing that I think we need to understand, just taking our time explaining God's wrath, the second thing that we need to understand is This is really interesting to me. Um, As I was studying this, I I had seen in the the Bible that God actually has uh, two kinds of wrath, or displays His anger in two different ways. And um, I'm, I'm taking a Greek class, and so I like to look at the Greek words. and And we talked in our First John study this morning about how at times the Greek is more of a precise language than English. They might have more than one word for one of our words. We talked about love before, how it has three different Greek words that mean three different things. We just have love. Or wrath or anger is a a really similar thing in the Greek. And, And this is interesting because the word here used in verse 18 for God's wrath is orge. There's another word used for God's wrath in other places in the Scriptures called thumos. And they're, they're a little bit different in how they play out, or at least most Greek scholars think so. And let me explain, because this is critical to the understanding of our passage and how God's wrath is now currently being revealed. Orge, it seems, this wrath in verse 18, is more of an internal anger. It's more the emotion of anger. An emotional reaction that really isn't quite as much of a reaction as thumos'. Let me explain. It's, if you look at other ancient Greek literature, it's kind of described in this way. This will give you a feel for how God is revealing His wrath. It's, um, it's explained as something that's swelling and under pressure, but hasn't quite yet exploded. Okay? So, so it's explained as a piece of fruit in other ancient Greek literature that is so plump and juicy that if you touch it, it'll just break open and the juice will pour out. That's orge. It's full of this juice. Or water that's getting hotter and hotter and hotter, but it hasn't boiled over yet. But it's ready to. Or a volcano that is boiling and it's ready to erupt at any time, but it hasn't yet. See that, On the other hand, the the volcano erupting, the fruit bursting, the water boiling over is usually described with the other word, thumos. And so thumos is like his fury that is reacting physically in an intensive way. God does it. The book of Revelation talks a lot about it. It uses the word thumos. God pouring out his wrath on mankind. So, it's important for us, I think, to understand that because this word is orge. And we can see the effects of it as we read on. And so, what, what I'd like to do is read verses uh, 18 through 32. Now that, now that we have a little bit of background on God's wrath, <clears throat> I'd like to read 18 through 32. And I'd like to just have us look for that as, as we're going. Let's look for how God's wrath is being revealed against These people who are rebelling against him. Let's try to pick it out. I'll emphasize it as we go. All right. Verse 18 For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God, of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, excuse me, and birds and animals and creeping things. Look at this. Therefore, God gave them up. God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonouring of their bodies among themselves. men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, here it is again, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Did you see it? God's swelling wrath, His anger that's building, how these people are storing up for themselves anger for a time when God is going to let loose unless they repent and believe in Jesus. That's the good news. We see it in verse 24. God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. Verse 26, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Verse 28, God gave them up to a debased mind. Here's the thing. The wrath of God is being revealed against ungodliness each time He lets someone have their own free will to go their own way. It's lifting the restraints. He's letting them go. See, God, God is restraining people, but when they turn to their own way, His wrath is revealed when He lets them go. Isaiah 53, 6 says it like this. I think it's verse 6. It's somewhere in Isaiah 53. It says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to our own way everyone has turned to his own way. And Isaiah, even back long before Jesus Christ came, is setting the stage, giving the bad news, showing the reason why we need Jesus. That's what Paul's doing here. The wrath of God is revealed every time someone's a slave to their sin. That's what it is. When we give in to our sins and become a slave to our sins, and they begin to function as us, to us as a God, we might not acknowledge that we're worshiping something other than God, but we are. Every time we're living for something other than God. We'll see it more next week in detail. But when this happens, when the wrath of God is revealed and removed, removing the restraints, when God gives them over, it kind of reminds me of uh, a couple of things, I, I got to talk to a couple of farmers uh, this morning. Here's a really great illustration that I learned this morning about uh, a physical picture of how this happens. Uh, I was talking to Brandon Overdorf first, who's a cattle rancher. And uh, Brandon said that uh, back in uh, Montana or Wyoming, uh, Montana I think, uh, at his ranch, when, when the calves would be let out when the grass was green in the spring, if he didn't manage and restrain them from eating too much, that green grass was so good and so full of nutrients that they didn't know how to stop eating. And if Brandon let go and didn't restrain them, they would eat themselves to death. Their stomach would become so bloated that they would die. Another picture of this that I learned this morning, I was talking with Dan Van Horn, who has sheep. And Dan's lost numbers of sheep, he said, because if, if you offer the sheep who are used to the pasture and grass, if you offer them grain, they love it. Oh, they love grain. So Dan has to give them portions of the grain, only as much as they can handle. But if you let these sheep go in a, you know, with a big tub of grain... They don't know how to stop. They become a slave to their internal desire to eat, to their passions, their cravings. And they eat themselves to death. They get so bloated, they die. Dan's lost a number of sheep like that. This is a picture of what's happening when God gives them over. And everybody in all of human history experiences this in one way or another. See, we all have, just like those sheep love the grain, just like those calves love the green grass, we all have sinful appetites. You know yours. I know mine. Think about it. You know, you might not like to talk about it, but you know what sinful appetite you have. You know what you crave. Sin dwells in our flesh, and so do its appetites. Paul tells us a little bit later that we're not to let them reign now in our mortal bodies now that we have the power of God. But you know what it is. And when you are an unbeliever, you just let it go. Whether it was pride and you were thinking you were better, whether it was gossip, whether it was homosexuality or other kind of sexual perversion, it doesn't matter. They're all listed here. We're going to talk about them next week. Everyone who is a slave to sin is under God's wrath. But, this wrath, this kind of wrath, this orge wrath, that God hasn't yet really put the smack down on people, but it's building and building, is really a mercy in disguise. This is a mercy in disguise. God's getting angry, yes. People who aren't believing in Jesus, people who don't believe in Jesus, are not okay. They are not okay. They are under the wrath of God, and God is very angry, but there's still time. That's what I want to emphasize now at the end of this message. There is still time. It's like it's like a ticking time bomb. It's like a, um, a death sentence, a terminal illness. But there's still time for these people to repent. Jesus said, in John chapter 8, verse 24, He said uh, to those who, who were under this kind of wrath, For unless you believe that I am He, that I am God who, is, who has come to die for your sins and rise again, you will die in your sins. Think of dying in your sins. Here's what I think of. I think of this whole thing playing out like this. I was thinking of a person on top of a really, really high building, like a skyscraper. And, and it's kind of like when, when the person takes that first step off of that building, that kind of represents a person who is suppressing the truth of God, who is straying from His righteous ways, who is going their own way, who is rebelling against Him. And he'll hold on to people. You might remember this. He'll hold on to you for a while. But at some point, he's going to let you go. And when he lets you go, you're under the wrath of God. And what's happening? Think of that person falling. Think of, like, I remember in Superman, Lois Lane was falling from the building. It was slow motion. And they were, like, making it real slow until Superman could swoop in and rescue her. And think of the person falling like that in extreme slow motion. It's only a matter of time before they hit the concrete. And then it's over. Then it's done. There's no turning back. But, but, while that person is in the air, they're under God's wrath. He's let them go. But there's still time. There's still time for them to repent. I remember just before Lois hit the ground, Superman swoops in and grabs her and rescues her. Well, I don't know if there's anyone here that doesn't believe in Jesus, but if you are falling and you are a slave to your sin and you are under God's wrath, this is how great God is. We don't want to just think of His wrath. He's there reaching out as you're falling, offering his hand. He wants to rescue you. And think of for all of us who are believers, that happened to us the moment we believed in Jesus. He has the remedy. There's still time. You can't do it yourself. If you're fallen, you can't save yourself. It's a matter of time. And that volcano is going to erupt. It's going to blow, and God's going to put the smack down. And once He does that, there is no turning back. That kind of wrath is irreversible. That kind of wrath is eternal. That kind of wrath is hell forever. And we don't want that. We don't want that to happen to anyone. And that's why we need to proclaim this good news, that there's still hope. Jesus said that He would save anyone who believes in Him. you got to cry out for help if that's you. And if, that's, if, if you are one, like most of us, I think, that have been saved from that wrath, we are, the Bible says, no longer under God's wrath. We are not objects of God's wrath anymore. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and that's the good news that most of us have experienced. And I want to just end by nailing down the truth of Colossians one thirteen and fourteen, if we can have this projected. This this is true. This happened for us who believe. Let's revel in this truth. It says He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. This domain that we're reading about in Romans chapter one, verse eighteen through three twenty is the domain of darkness. We were all there. And He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption. That's a beautiful word. We've been redeemed from the slavery of sin. The forgiveness as well of sins. He's forgiven us of all of our sins if we believe in Jesus Christ. That's the way out. If you're fallen today, you need to believe in Jesus Christ and He'll rescue you. Have the band come up and let's thank God as we sing this last song and let's pray now and thank Him. But as we're singing this last song, I want you to think about your story. I want you to think about where you were and how God's rescued you. Father, I pray that you would make this true to everyone's heart. Pray that you would give us illumination, that we can rejoice in the fact that you saved us. And I pray, Lord, if anyone's here that's falling, Lord, You know the day and the hour. You know the time when they're going to hit the concrete and it's over for them. Rescue them before that happens, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.